Well, some uh, re real hard work tonight. It's real thinking cap stuff as, as we carry on with, with Daniel. Um, my hope isn't just that you all won't get lost. My biggest hope is that I won't get lost with it all. But uh, nevertheless, here goes. Um, just to recap on the fundamentals of the first talk that relate to where we are now, because we're beyond the story of Daniel. We're looking now at all the visions and that, you know, the second part of the book. And that basically what's happening with Daniel is that he's receiving visions and prophecies and revelation about future world history. History, I mean, some of the history he lived through and others of it was stuff that was still in his future. And what he was basically seeing was visions of world kingdoms. And uh, you'll remember there was the, um, the statue that represented the four kingdoms and Nebuchadnezzar had that in a dream and Daniel interpreted it. And then later on, Daniel had the vision of the four beasts. And the statue and the four beasts were simply two ways of depicting the same thing. And they were four world kingdoms that were going to arise. In fact, the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian arose in his time. And these were world kingdoms that kind of were to arise and foreshadow what is actually going to happen in the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist heads up a world power. And uh, so that's, that's basically what he was seeing. And the kingdoms, you'll remember, were the Babylonian Empire, that was the first beast, then the Medo-Persian Empire, the second world kingdom, and he lived through both of those. Then thirdly, he foresaw the arising of the Greek Empire, world empire, and then lastly, the Roman Empire. And the particular thing of interest that he was shown about the fourth beast, or the kingdom, Rome, is that it was to be a divided one, and that that empire is going to arise again in the last days, and that the Antichrist will actually head up a revived Roman Empire. In fact, the Antichrist will be a modern-day Caesar. And the distinctive thing about the Romans is that they worshipped Caesar as God. And so as we carry on tonight and move on to chapter 8 and work through to the end of the book, we're going to see more details, um, particularly um, about the, the Greek and the Roman um, you know, kind of thing. That goes on and uh, in in chapter 8 okay he has a vision another one and first of all I'll actually describe what it was and then Daniel is given the interpretation so we'll move on to that afterwards now here's the vision that he has he sees a ram and this ram has two horns but one horn is slightly higher than the other and no one could stand against this ram. Then what happened is a he-goat appeared from the west. And this he-goat attacked the ram and broke its two horns. So that takes care of the ram. Then we get details about this he-goat. It had one big horn between its eyes. But as soon as this he-goat destroyed the ram, 
This one horn on the he-goat is broken and replaced by four other horns. Then, out of one of these four horns comes another tiny little horn which grew really big. Now, this horn proceeded to cast the starry hosts to the ground. We'll be back to that in a moment. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice, which meant the temple in Jerusalem, it stopped the sacrificial system, brought it to an end. And it destroyed the sanctuary. That was the temple. Um, and the temple is given over to this horde, uh, this horn, as a judgment. So eventually, this little horn that arises goes against the temple, destroys Jerusalem, or marches in, and brings the whole thing to a halt. And this happens as a judgment against the temple. And we're given a time period now, and we're given a time period that is the, the rebellion from the rebellion that calls this judgment to the actual time of the judgment and the bringing to the end of the sacrifice is a period of 2,300 days. Now, that was the vision, that was the information he was given. And of course, after that, he's kind of scratching his head. What does this mean? And Gabriel, Archangel Gabriel, appears to him and gives him the interpretation. And the interpretation of that vision is this. The ram that he saw with the two horns was Medo-Persia, the empire that at that time, because Daniel's now an old man, it was the empire that at that time was ruling the world. And the two horns, one was higher than the other, a coalition, but one was more powerful than the other, all right? The, the, the Persian part was more powerful than the, the Medean part, and hence one horn larger than the other. And the he-goat that destroys the ram is the Greek Empire. It's Greece. Now, what's interesting is that Daniel is being told this years before the Greek Empire actually happened. Daniel is living at the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire. You'll remember we saw last time when Daniel was an old man, the Babylonian Empire fell, the writing on the wall, and the Medo-Persian Empire took over. So kingdom number one fell and gave way to kingdom number two. And Daniel, is, this time, is the, you know, at the start of the Medo-Persian Empire. And this is years before the Greek Empire happened. But he's been given information about it. And you'll be amazed tonight how detailed the information he was given about events that happened hundreds of years after he died, you know, two, three, four hundred years later after he died. So this he-goat that appears, the ram is Medo-Persia, the he-goat is the Greek Empire. And he's told that the, the big horn 
on this he goat is the king of Greece at the time when the Medo-Persian Empire falls. And we saw last time that that was Alexander the Great. So what we've got here, going back to the statue, we've got the, the chest and the arms of silver. Okay, um, The Babylonian was the head, all right. Medo-Persia was the chest and the arms. And now we've got the chest and the arms being taken over by the belly and the thighs. By the Greek Empire, Empire number three is going to destroy the second empire. And also we've got Daniel's second and third beasts. All right. Now, what happens is the breaking of the big horn, remember, this goat with one big horn destroys the ram. Also, the goat came from the west. All right, uh, sorry, the west, <laughs> over there. Those on the tape I'm pointing to my left. All right. um, and that was where the Greek Empire came from. So the breaking of the big horn and the replacement by four others was that after the death of the king who ruled the Greek Empire at the time when it took over, Alexander the Great, at the death of that king, he would be replaced by four other kings after his death. So Daniel is here told that when this empire that's yet to be, when this Greek empire takes over the current Medo-Persian empire, the king who's ruling Greece at the point of the takeover he will die and the kingdom will then be replaced, be split up into four. Now, again, we saw that last time. Remember, Daniel is being told this over a hundred years before it happens. And of course, we saw last time that we know from secular history that when Alexander the Great died, his generals, four of them, split the kingdom up between them. And uh, the northern part of the kingdom... Uh, went to Cassander, that was kind of Macedonia. Asia Minor went to Lysimachus. Syria went to Seleucus, and Egypt went to Ptolemy. And these were the four generals who served under Alexander the Great. And so Daniel is being told in this vision that this future empire, this he-goat, will divide into four kingdoms. The one horn on its head was broken and replaced by four other horns. The interpretation then goes on that towards the end of the dominion of that empire, the Greek Empire, so this empire, the he-goat, it's going to be the Greek Empire, that during the time, during the reign of that empire, a time of judgment will come upon those who have the daily sacrifice, which obviously is meaning the Jews. So the point is that at the time of this Greek Empire, at some point during its time of power, judgment will come on Israel. Because remember, by that time, Israel will have come back from the captivity and were re-established, or would be re-established in the land. At this point, Israel is still in the captivity. Now, what will happen in regards to that time of judgment that will come on Israel at the hands of the Greek kingdom? What will happen is that a particular king will arise in that kingdom. So a particular Greek king will arise. And there are certain things that Daniel is told about this king. Number one, he will be, quote, a master of intrigue. 
So he will be an incredibly deceitful person. Secondly, he will cause astounding devastation. So he will do unbelievable damage and harm on the, and here's the third point, the holy people, Israel. So Daniel is here being told that at a time in the future when this new empire depicted as the goat, the Greek empire, will take over from the Medo-Persian empire, which was on the go when Daniel was alive at this time. This new empire, the Greek empire, will eventually divide into four kingdoms. During that time, after it's divided into four kingdoms, and by that time Israel will be back in the land, repopulating Israel, and the temple will be rebuilt. During that time, one of these kings, of the four kingdoms that Greek has split down into, will bring a time of great judgment upon the land of Israel and will devastate the land. And, uh, and Gabriel goes on to say to Daniel that this king will stand against the prince of princes. He will actually take a stand against the prince of princes. We'll be back to that shortly. And he will be destroyed eventually, but not by human hand. So now we've got to ask, right, okay, from secular history, and I'll be back to the 2,300 days in a moment. What we've got to ask then, right, from secular history, do we know if this has happened yet? And who is this king of the Greek Empire that um, Daniel is talking about? Well, secular history tells us all we need to know. And again, verifies the astounding detail of the prophecies that Daniel had. So I say two, three, four hundred years in some cases before they happen. In fact, some of the prophecies of Daniel haven't happened yet, you know, I mean, they're for the Great Tribulation. So who, who is this king? Well, let's, let's just quickly go through the developing history of the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great, you remember when the Greek Empire took over the Medo-Persian Empire, it was led by Alexander the Great. And you'll remember that, that Greece, as the third beast, was described like a leopard. And Alexander, he just motored his way through the world. I mean, he took the world over incredibly, um, you know, sort of like fast and, and, and in fact died in his 30s. So, I mean, he ruled the world while he was still really young, having taken it over, incredibly fast, you know, mover he was. And, um, and Alexander the Great died in 323 BC, so 300 years before the coming of Jesus. And of course, it was on his death that the Greek kingdom divided. Now, this is, this is years and years after the time that Daniel is receiving that word from Gabriel, all right? So, so this happened years after Daniel, all right? So in 323 BC, Alexander died, and the kingdom divided, all right? Now, Jerusalem, because remember, I mean, sort of Jerusalem was controlled by Greece. It had been controlled by Medo-Persia when the Greeks took over, Jerusalem and Israel was controlled by Greece. And uh, so when Greece divided into four kingdoms, there was a bit of right, now which, which of the four Greek kingdoms is gonna have Israel? And, uh, and Jerusalem, Israel, first went to General Seleucus. Now Seleucus, he got Syria, all right? 
which 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 was down to the you know sort of uh, you know up, up up to the the north and the the kind of east of um of uh, Israel. So Jerusalem first of all came under the jurisdiction of Seleucus. But within a very few years, not through war, but you know just the way that politics worked, it passed to Ptolemy. And Ptolemy ruled the Egyptian part of the kingdom. So then Israel went from Syria to the other end, you know, to the southwest, all right, and was ruled there from Egypt. Okay. Now, Alexander the Great, when he established his kingdom, he was good to the Jews. And in fact, Alexandria, uh, you know, became a, a, a great, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of like centre of the Jews because the Greeks were, you know, so friendly towards them. And Alexander, in particular, was very pro-Israel. He was good to them. And so was Ptolemy. And, and indeed, Ptolemy, he welcomed the Jews to his kingdom, to Alexandria, which was kind of like the capital in Egypt. And, uh, you know, so th through these years of, of Israel re-establishing itself, um, in the land under the rule of the Greeks, by and large, they had a good time. You know, they were treated very well. But then in 198 BC, all right, so this is now 200 years before the coming of Jesus, the Seleucids, now that was the Syrian division of the Greek kingdom, the Seleucids or the Syrian empire um, conquered Israel. So what they did is they marched in and they took Israel from the Ptolemies. All right. So then Israel came under the rule, not of the Ptolemies down in Egypt, but now the Seleucids up in Syria. All right. And um, at that particular time, their king was a guy called Antiochus the Great. And he invaded Jerusalem and took Jerusalem over. Now, I mean, he was certainly anti-Israel. He was not a nice bloke at all. In fact, he tried, you know, sort of like he tried to rob the temple and everything. I mean, he was not a very nice bloke. But um, eventually, when he died, he was assassinated. He was succeeded not by his younger son, uh, not by his son, and that's who should have succeeded him. But through acts of political intrigue and skullduggery, um, he was actually succeeded by his younger brother. And his younger brother was called Antiochus Epiphanes. And he is the bloke that we're interested in. He is the bloke that, Dan uh, that Daniel is hearing about in the prophecies. He had no claim to the throne at all, but he took over the throne. He succeeded his brother, even though his brother should have been succeeded by his own son. And so now Jerusalem is under the control of the Seleucid Empire, i.e. the Syrian branch of the Greek Empire, and, um, and is now being ruled by Antiochus Epiphanes. And he ruled the empire from 175 to 164 BC. Now, he hated the Jews to the point of virtual madness. I mean, his hatred of the Jews knew no bounds. And he actually set out to completely exterminate them. And in 168 BC, he completely devastated Jerusalem. He just ransacked it. 
He sent the army in and he went berserk. There was a slaughter of, of countless Jews in the city. And what he then did, he defiled the temple by setting up an altar to Jupiter, who was his god, and sacrificed a pig to Jupiter on the altar of the temple. Now, can you see, that was the ultimate act of blasphemy against the Jewish faith, Antiochus Epiphanes. That's what he did. And it was that that the prophecy was talking about, about how this master of intrigue would bring this great devastation on the holy people, Israel, and that he would bring the sacrifice to an end, i.e. life around the temple would end because he completely took it over and turned it into a pagan sacrifice. Okay. So what's this 2,300 days? As you'll remember that in the vision, Daniel was told that from the, the time of the rebellion that would bring the judgment on to the ending of the judgment, i.e. when Antiochus eventually finished doing what he was doing, that you would have a time period there of 2,300 days. Now, what's that all about? And this will show you how incredible the prophecies are here. The period during which Antiochus desecrated the temple, I was sacrificing pigs to Jupiter, was a three-year period. And it ran from the 15th of Chislev, which is their December, all right, 168 BC. I mean, secular history, we're very, you know, we know a great deal about this. Historians are very, you know, detailed records of this. So from the 15th of December, or Chislev, as it was um, in the Hebrew uh, calendar, to the 25th of the same month in 165 BC. So for virtually three years, Antiochus did this. He turned the temple into a place of pagan worship to Jupiter, and it was about three years. Now, if you take the date when it ended, the 25th of Chislev, 165 BC. And if you work back 2,300 days, which is six and a third years, you arrive at the summer of 171 BC. Now, in 171 BC, you have the point where Israel is back in the land, and the Jews' behaviour and idolatry and rebellion against God is getting to the point where God says judgment is going to come upon you. And in the summer of 171 BC, the high priest was a guy called Menelaus. I, he was in charge of the temple and he was totally corrupt. He was a gangster. Simple as that. And he was in charge of the temple, the high priest. He was as corrupt as you could get. And his brother, Lysimachus by name. His brother nicked all the sacred vessels from the temple. So the high priest aids his brother in stealing all the sacrificial cups and goblets from the temple. So what we can see is that at that point, God was saying, right, now judgment comes upon you. And when judgment did, it was 2,300 days up till the end of that judgment. So what you've got here 
is that Daniel is receiving a vision at this point where he's been told this. The Medo-Persian Empire that you are living in now, all right, is going to be taken over in time by a Greek empire. Now, by then, Israel will be back in the land. The Greek empire will divide into four kingdoms. And after that time, a period of judgment is going to come on Israel and this figure, this king of the Greek empire is going to devastate Israel and desecrate the temple. And that will be a judgment on the sins that Israel are going to be building up once they're back in the land at that time. And he was even given the time period, there will be six and a third years between the act that God said, right, that's it, judgment, and the end of the judgment itself. And we'll be back later on to details about, you know, sort of that particular period of their history. And uh, you'll remember also that this um, Antiochus, this king, um, I mean, in taking on the prince of princes, you see, because he desecrated the temple, he was taking on Messiah himself. It was a, a, a deliberate attempt to destroy Judaism. And you remember that he will be destroyed, but not by human hand. And uh, he died of sickness in 164 BC. And of course, obviously, once in 164 BC, I mean, you know, it's, it's all over because he, he's dead. But we saw as well one other thing that Gabriel said about this character. And it's a bit of a problem. And it was this, that this king would throw the starry hosts down to the earth and trample them. Now that's a reference, isn't it, to the angels or to the demons. And it's carried through in Revelation as well. The dragon, Satan, with his tail, he brings a third of the stars of heaven down to earth. Now, that doesn't fit a man, does it? But do you remember when we were doing Isaiah, and also we saw an example, I think, in Ezekiel as well, wasn't it? When a human king was being spoken about, and then in the description... The description suddenly is becoming that of someone who clearly isn't a man and that it kind of slips and starts describing the demonic power at back of the human power. Well, that's what happens here. And that what you've got is that Antiochus, and we're going to see this as we carry on through the other chapters, this king, this character who, who kind of marched into Jerusalem and set up an absolute abomination in the temple, sacrificing pigs. What happens is he becomes a character in the Bible who foreshadows the eventual Antichrist himself. Now you'll see this more clearly a bit later on. And do you remember, in, in, in the same way in the Old Testament, Melchizedek wasn't Jesus, but was an incredible type of Jesus. Now, in the same way, Antiochus wasn't the Antichrist, but he's a biblical type of the Antichrist who is eventually going to come. And uh, we'll see that much more clearly in chapter 11. Right, so that's chapter 8. We move on now to chapter 9, and we've got some maths to do here. In chapter 9, Daniel discovers from Jeremiah, he's reading the book, of Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah worked in Babylon with Daniel, right? And Daniel discovers 
from Jeremiah's book and prophecies that the captivity, because remember, Daniel is in captivity. He was taken by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylonian captivity and eventually the Medo-Persians took over from um, the Babylonians. And he discovers that, that captivity was going to last for 70 years. Now God had prophesied that through Jeremiah. The captivity, i.e. they would be out of the land for 70 years and then they go back. And at this point in Daniel's history, he's only a year or two away from this 70 years. He's been in captivity about 68 years. So he knows, hey, only a couple of years or so to go, that's great. And what he does is he starts praying for the repopulation of the land. So he knows that the time for the going back to the land is only a couple of years away. So he starts praying for it. Lord, make it happen, bring it about. Okay. Now, while he's praying about this, Gabriel appears to him again and gives him what is known as the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Now, this is one of the most famous, or perhaps I shall say infamous, bits of prophecy in the Bible. And as we work our way through it, you might come to appreciate why. And, um, and basically, what Daniel tells him is that, um, that there are going to be 70 weeks or sevens given to Israel. Now, let's, let's kind of start to take this a bit, you know, sort of like to bits. The sevens or the weeks, the 77s or the 70 weeks, the Hebrew word is Shavua. And it means seven. So Daniel says there are 70 Shavua decreed for your people, Israel. Now that Shavua, it means seven. But you establish seven what from the context. So when you get Shavua, it could be seven years, seven hours, seven elephants, Seven times it could be seven anything, and you work out from the context what exactly it is. All right, and so I'm going to show you the way that this timing works. But first of all, to see what is going to happen in regards to these seventy sevens that are decreed for Israel and Jerusalem, and six things are going to happen. The first one is this: transgression will finish. Number two. These 77s, this time period, will put an end to sin. Number three, at the end of the time period, wickedness will be atoned for. Fourthly, everlasting righteousness will be brought in. Five, vision and prophecy will be sealed up, which is a kind of an idiom that, you know, sort of like the time will come when all prophecy will end. All scripture will end. God won't have anything more to say. And of course, that's in the eternal state. And of course, everlasting righteousness, that's the eternal state. And um, also, the most holy place or the most holy one will be anointed, which is kind of idiom in the Hebrew mind for like the final place and condition of worship is established once and for all, unchangingly, full time. Okay. So, so, so there you've got kind of like Messiah placed in the eternal state. So these six things are going to happen at the end and during this period of 77s, whatever the time period is. All right. Now, I'll show you what the time period is in a moment, but it's divided up. 
And Daniel goes on to say that these periods of time are divided up in the following way. Firstly, you get seven sevens, you get a period of seven sevens, then followed by another period of 62 sevens. And he then tells Daniel like the time from which this kicks off. And it's, um, you know, sort of like it's when the decree to restore and rebuild the temple is given. Now, that happened 80 years later, all right. So what he's saying is that from the time when the decree goes out to rebuild the temple, and that would happen 80 years later, all right, you would, this 77's time period would start. And it would be divided up in this way. Firstly, you'd have a period of seven sevens. That's one distinct time period. And then secondly, you'd have another period of 62 sevens. And the second period will end with the coming of the Messiah. And at the end of that time period, you get the period of the seven sevens first, then the second time period, at the end of that, Messiah will come and he will be killed or cut off. All right. Then the time of the end will come. This is what Gabriel is, is saying to Daniel. Then the time of the end will come and the people of the ruler who is to come will destroy the city and the temple. Then in the middle of the seven, and here we've got a third time period, we've had a period of seven sevens, then a period of 62 sevens, at the end of which Messiah comes. Now we've got a third seven, and in the middle of that time period, the people of uh, the king, of the, you know, the, those who are to come, will destroy the city and the temple and will establish the abomination of desolation. So clearly we've got there the Antichrist. All right. And the Antichrist will arise and destroy the Jews, or try to, in the middle of this last seven. Now, you can see there that that's exactly what Antiochus did. So Antiochus acting as a forerunner of the Antichrist, all right? Okay, right, so what we've got, I'm going to explain it all, don't you worry, it will become clear in a moment. It's a mathematical prophecy, all right? Now, let's, let's say, what are these time periods? Well, let's first of all do days. Let's say that these sevens are days, all right? What does that give us? Well, if we make the sevens periods of days, all right, we have 70 times seven, all right? Take the whole lot, 70 sevens. 70 times seven days. Now, what is 70 times seven days? That's 490 days. What's 490 days? That's one and a third years. One year, four months. That gave Daniel the date of when they were going back into Israel. So it works on that level. If you make the prophecy meaning days, then Daniel has the month and the year that Israel is going to be sent back to rebuild the land. All right. So that's, that's, that's the first one. But the prophecy largely works, and you'll see how, when you make these sevens years. So that what you've got is that you've got a prophecy of the 70 times seven years. So what you've got then is this. You've got the 490, 70 times 7, from the date of this decree to rebuild the temple, which happened 80 years after the prophecy was given to him, Israel has 490 years of history left. All right? 
Now, this 490 years, remember, was divided into two periods. You had the 7 times 7 years, and then you had the 62 times 7 years. So let's do that, all right? From the decree to rebuild the temple, which went out 80 years after this, if you take the first time period, you've got 7 times 7 years, all right? Now then, what happened was that once the decree went out that Israel could go back, well, they were in the land, but they were given the go-ahead, uh, you know, to rebuild the temple. Once they got that, it took them 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem completely. So there's the first period. The first seven sevens were the time period in which Jerusalem was eventually completely rebuilt after Israel went back into the land um, from the captivity. Now, after that, you get the second period of 62 sevens. Now, that's 434 years, all right? And after that period, Messiah will be cut off. Now, when you do the dates, all right, from the, the time when the decree to rebuild the temple went out, you add 49 years. Then you add another 434 years, i.e. 62, 7, 62 times 7 years, another 434 years. Do you know where that brings you? Not BC, or it brings you to the death, it brings you to the birth and the death of Jesus. It brings you to AD 33, the year that Jesus died. And this is why, when Jesus was born, the Magi were waiting, they were looking, they knew that Messiah was going to be born any time now. They knew the date, the year that he was going to die, but they didn't know the year he was going to be born because they didn't know how old he'd be when he died. And that's why the Magi knew that the time of Messiah has come. So when they saw the star, they kind of knew, hey, yeah, this is the sign, let's go and find Messiah. So here in Daniel, you have a prophecy that actually puts the date of the coming of the Messiah at the date that Jesus was ministering on the earth. Can you see now why I've always maintained to you that Israel knew that Jesus was Messiah? There was no question they knew. They, re they rejected him knowing he was Messiah. There was no doubt about it. He fulfilled the prophecies of Daniel. So now we've got the date of the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, let's go back to those six things that this time period, the 77s, would uh, lead to. Now, let's just go through them um, again, if I can find them. Number, oh, I've lost it. I'll find it any minute now. Bear with me. Yes, got it. The first three were this. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for wickedness. When did that happen? When Jesus died on the cross. His first coming took care of that. So those first three taken care of by the first coming. Okay. And um, well, I've lost my other set of notes now. Hang on. Um, right. And, uh, and then four to six, all right, which were to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. All that is accomplished by Jesus at the second time that he comes. So therefore you can see how these things were accomplished in regards to these time periods. But we've still got one week left, haven't we? 
because we've had seven sevens and we've had 62 sevens. That's 69. But the total time period is 70 sevens. There's one week left. There's one seven left. So what does this one week, this one seven equal? Seven years. And that last week will be what is necessary to accomplish the other three things that eventually bring in the kingdom of God. And this is how we know that the Great Tribulation is seven years long. This is how we know. And the prophecy was that this, this Antichrist, who abominates in the temple, sets up that abomination, does it midway through that week. So after three and a half years. And this is how we know the timing, that once the Great Tribulation starts, it's seven years, and that it's three and a half years into it that the Antichrist eventually declares himself and makes his move against Israel. So what we've got, that in this 490 years of future that Israel's yet got coming to it, what we see is that seven of these years haven't happened yet. And the idea is that when Jesus came, because Israel rejected him, what did God do? He rejected Israel. And he replaced Israel with the church, which is Gentile. So what happened when Jesus died, which was at the end of the 69th week, 62 plus 7, when Jesus died, which was at the end of this 69th prophetic week, the prophetic clock stopped ticking for Israel because the church age came in. Now, at the rapture, when the church is taken to heaven, what happens? The prophetic clock starts ticking for Israel again. And the seven years of the Great Tribulation will happen. And that in those six things that this time period is to accomplish, we saw the first three were accomplished by Jesus on the cross. Sin was dealt with. But the second three, which are bringing in the kingdom of God on earth and the eternal state, that can't happen until the second coming. But the second coming can't happen until Israel is praying that Jesus will come again. But Israel doesn't believe in Jesus. So what's got to happen before Jesus can come again is that Israel has got to receive Jesus as Messiah. And it is the judgment of God on Israel during the, that seven years that is going to bring Israel to its knees and is going to bring Israel to the point where it receives Jesus as its saviour. And then that will be the end of the 70th week and then everything that Messiah came to do will be completed um, in its uh, entirety. And so that's how we know that the Great Tribulation is seven years. That last week for Israel hasn't happened yet, but it will. And what Jesus' first coming didn't do, Israel rejected him. He came not to condemn, but to save, all right? He came not to judge, but Israel wouldn't buy it. So what grace didn't accomplish the first time, judgment on Israel through the Antichrist will accomplish next time. And as a result of that judgment, Israel will cry out for the Lord to come again. And then eventually eternal righteousness will be established on the earth during the reign of Jesus on the earth. So there you've got the 70 weeks. Uh, now you sort of go through the tape afterwards slowly. It will become clear, all right? But you've, you've got those three time periods. You've got the, 
the 49 years, then in, or, or, or the, the seven weeks, the seven times seven years, then the 62 times seven years, which brings you up to the death of Jesus, and then the last seven years, the last week, is yet future, and that is the great tribulation when the Antichrist arises and goes against Israel. Right, we, we must move on, chapter 10. And uh, Daniel prays and fasts for three weeks, all right? And um, after having been praying and fasting for three weeks, another angel appears to him. We're not told um, who this angel is. And, uh, but an angel appears, and we get this, what I've always called, like, the peak behind the cosmic curtain now, all right? And this angel explains to Daniel that um, he'd, he'd been dispatched with the answer to Daniel's prayers three weeks earlier. So, so, so as soon as Daniel started praying and fasting, the, the answer in, in the form of this angel was dispatched immediately. But it took him three weeks to get to Daniel because he was delayed because the prince of Persia was battling against him. Now, you remember Persia at this time was the dominant partner in the Medo-Persian Empire, all right, which was ruling at the time. And, uh, and the angel then goes on to tell him that what happened was that Michael, who we know from the book of Jude to be an archangel, all right, came to his rescue. Um, and, uh, you know, Michael is called here one of the chief princes and is, is said here to be the protector of Israel. And, uh, you know, I, the angel says, he is your prince. I, he, you know, sort of a Michael is the angel that looks after the affairs of Israel. And the angel then goes on to tell him that um, he'll have to return to finish fighting the prince of Persia. And that after he's finished fighting the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece will come. And of course, the Greek empire took over from the Medo-Persian empire, didn't it? We're back to the dream statue and we're back to Daniel's four beasts. And uh, all these princes are against Israel. So what's happening? Daniel, he, he starts praying. He prays for three weeks. The angel arrives and the angel says, I set out three weeks ago. All right, as soon as you started praying, I set out. But uh, the, 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 the demon, the demonic angel that is behind Persia got in my way and I was fighting with him. Michael, who's the goody angel who looks after your lot, the Jews, came to my rescue, so here I am with the answer. And we'll see what the answer to his prayer was in a moment. And the angel then goes on to say, right, I've got to go after I've given you the message that God's got, and I'm going to have to go back, and I'm going to have to finish my fight with the kingdom of Persia. And then when I finish my fight with the, king, with the, the prince of Persia, the demon over Persia, then I've got to deal with the demon of Greece, you see. So what we're seeing here is that... Um, Behind these world empires were demonic spirits. Behind each world empire was Satan himself. Why? Because Satan wants to dominate the world. He wants a one world empire that's going to be worshipping him. I.e. what God did at Babel, you remember from the time of Noah onwards, God said, fill the earth, you know, spread out, spread out. And all that diversity, you know, in, in, in mankind and man being spread out, it restrains evil. It has a restraining effect. But what happened under Nimrod, all the people of the world at that point, rather than spread out across the whole earth, they gathered in one superpower, didn't they? And Nimrod was sort of like the world, you know, the king. And so God confused the languages at Babel. And that's where Babylon, you know, sort of like came from. 
And so the point is that Satan's trying to undo what God did at the Tower of Babel. Uh, you know, the Tower of Babel, God got everyone split up into separate nations and kingdoms. Satan is trying to undo that, one world power. And so all these world powers behind each one of them was Satan. And, uh, you know, indeed, you know, behind the affairs of mankind in general are the spirits of Satan, all the demons. And yet, having said that, all the goody angels are there battling the baddie angels. And, uh, I mean, what is clear is that our prayers, in a way we can't understand, actually empower the goody angels in their fight against the baddie angels. And, uh, you know, so this is the spiritual warfare. This is what Paul means when he says that we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood against principalities and powers. The real story is going on behind the cosmic curtain. It's not what you see down here. You know, it's not what we see with our physical eyes. The real story is what's going on behind the cosmic curtains in the heavenlies. And what's going on on Earth is a result of that battle going on in the heavenly places. And that is where our spiritual warfare, that is where our prayer, that is where our faith is really doing its job. And, uh, you know, so we can see the importance of prayer there. So here, Daniel gets, gets this real, you know, kind of peak behind the cosmic curtain. And now we go into chapter 11, and we get the message that the angel brought to him. So now in chapter 11, all right, the angels told Daniel all about the fight he had with the Prince of Persia, and then after Persia, he's got to deal with the Prince of Greece, all right? So there's the peak behind the cosmic curtain. But now in chapter 11, we get the, uh, the message that the angel brought him. And this message is, is, is kind of, it's known as the prophecy of the kings of the north and the south, all right? That's how it's, it's kind of, um, it's worded. And remember that here, what we're doing, we're dealing now in this chapter with a detailed history of the two divisions of the Greek Empire, the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire, that vied for control of Israel, all right? So now we're going to look at an even more detailed uh, history, future history, as far as he was concerned, of what went on in the Greek uh, Empire concerning Israel. And the, the two areas are the north, or Syria, where the Seleucid Empire was, and the south, which was Egypt, where the Ptolemies were. Okay, And uh, this, this chapter is the most amazing prophecy given hundreds of years before it happened. Now, what I'm going to do is give you the background um, of the prophecy first and, 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 and then actually look at it, okay? Now, Daniel received the message from this angel during the reign of Cyrus II of Persia. So you've still got the Medo-Persian Empire, all right? And um, now, that that's the background to it. Now, what I'm going to do is, I, I can't, it's a very long prophecy, all right, it's a long chapter. There's not time for me to go through the prophecy and then go through the fulfillment. All we've got time for is I'm going to explain how the prophecy was fulfilled. And I'm going to give you a rundown of the secular history that was the fulfillment of the prophecy. And what you can do for yourselves with the tapes some other time is that, or, or, or forget the tape, but just get the Bible and read through the chapter side by side with the fulfilment, as I'm going to explain it, and you'll see how each point that I'm making is the fulfilment of the prophecy itself, all right? Now, after Cyrus II, all right, he was followed by three kings, Symbiasis, Smyrdis, and Darius Hystapsis. 
Don't worry about the names, but th this is everything I'm telling you now is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Okay, and you can read through the prophecy and you'll see it for yourself. Now, after them, a fourth king arose, and he was the greatest and richest of the Persian kings so far, and his name was Xerxes. And what happened was that he invaded Greece, but in so doing, he was defeated. Now, this was the beginning of the end for the Medo-Persian Empire, all right? So this, Xerxes, the greatest of the Medo-Persian kings so far, he invaded Greece and he was beaten back. Now, as a result of that, Alexander the Great led Greece to become the world power in Medo-Persia's place. So, um, in, in Xerxes attacking Greece, he really signed his own fate, all right? And Greece attacked him and destroyed him and became the, um, the next world power. So Alexander the Great is now ruling the world. After his death, as we've seen, the kingdom was um, divided between the four generals, all right? And uh, the northern part of the kingdom, Greece, or the Macedonian kingdom, was one, Asia Minor, Syria, and Egypt. Now, for the prophecy here, we're only concerned with the north and the south, Syria and Egypt. And the prophecy refers to the kings as the kings of the north, that's Syria, and the kings of the south, which is Egypt. All right. And uh, you'll remember the northern kingdom, Syria, went to General Seleucus, hence the Seleucid Empire. And uh, after him, the, the subsequent kings of the Seleucid Empire were either called Seleucus or Antiochus. They were the names that the kings took. The Egyptian, the southern part of the kingdom, that was Ptolemy, the general, and uh, hence the Ptolemaic Empire. And uh, subsequent kings were all called Ptolemy. So you just get Ptolemy 1, 2, 3, 4, blah, 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 blah. All right. And uh, in fact, the, the first king of Syria, who was Seleucus Nicator, all right, he was originally Ptolemy I's commander. So you can see that these kingdoms start, they were all buddies and they sort of like shared it out, blah, blah, blah. Right, now in earnest, we get into the history that is the fulfillment of the prophecy that the angel gives to Daniel. As I say, go through the chapter some other time and you'll see how each bit that the Bible says is fulfilled by the secular history that I'm giving you now. And uh, the thing to realise is that now I'm just going to give you a history lesson like you had at school. You would have done this at school probably at some point. I mean, this isn't, you know, like knowledge just come from the Bible. This is extremely well-known ancient secular history. And when we get to one name in particular, you'll really see the point. Anyway, I'm going to go through it. It's complicated. There's nothing I can do about that except to try and make it as simple as I can. Think of Dallas and Dynasty and all that lot gone mad, and you'll get a picture of the history that we're going to look at. Okay. Now then, Ptolemy II... All right, Ptolemy I was the general Ptolemy who set up the kingdom, all right? Ptolemy II had a daughter called Berenice, all right? And the Seleucid king at the time was Antiochus II, all right? So Ptolemy II gave Antiochus his daughter Berenice in marriage, you know, and this would like keep the kingdoms friendly towards each other. But Antiochus II had been divorced. And his former, his ex-wife murdered both of them along with their child. So therefore, Ptolemy, the Ptolemaic Empire, 
has given its daughter to the Seleucid Empire. This has been met with treachery in the Seleucid Empire. Okay. So what happened then is that Berenice's brother, who was Ptolemy III, he took over from Ptolemy II, retaliated and attacked Syria and beat them up and had a great victory over them. Now, Antiochus II, he was the one murdered by his former wife, all right, he was succeeded by Seleucus II. And he then attacked Ptolemy III, who had already attacked him, and he was defeated again. So you've really got war, you know, wars going on here, okay. And um, so his sons, he had two sons, one was Seleucus III and one was Antiochus III. They attack Ptolemy IV. So a few, I mean, this is tit for tat gone bananas, you see. So what's happening is that, that sort of like the sons, I mean, sort of like the father gets attacked and beaten up, all right? So his sons launch a counterattack a few years later. That's the way it's working. It's just going between kingdom and kingdom, all right? So Seleucus III and Antiochus III, who are brothers, attack Ptolemy IV, but he defeats them. And that was the Battle of Raphia in 217 BC. I give you that date because it's well known to history, the Battle of Raphia, well known. So what we're seeing is that the Ptolemies are doing best. So you've got these wars between the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire, but the Ptolemaic Empire didn't start them. The Seleucid Empire were causing all the trouble, and they keep losing. So the Ptolemies, definitely 15 love. All right. Now, 14 years after the Battle of Raphia, all right, Antiochus III, and you'll remember he's Seleucid, he, he having been defeated yet again, builds up his army, and... Um, strangely enough, um, gets the Jews on his side and, uh, you know, sort of like loads of Jews, uh, you know, joined his army. And um, he then captures Israel and Jerusalem from Egypt. So that we saw earlier that Egypt passed from the Ptolemies to the Seleucids. And this was when it happened. And ironically enough, the Jews fought with the Seleucid Empire. You know, and, and, and I mean, you know, they really at this point started to sign... Uh, you know, to sort of like, you know, bang nails into their coffins as well at this point. And uh, so Antiochus III, all right, is now controlling Israel, having taken it from the Ptolemies. Right, so Antiochus III has a very famous daughter, and he gives her to Ptolemy V as a wife, hoping that now he's got Israel, he can calm everything down. Now, the name of his daughter was... And this, this should mean something to you. Cleopatra. Antony and Cleopatra. Antiochus III was Cleopatra's dad. And she was given to Ptolemy, all right, the, the, the fifth, as a wife, to, to, to try and cement peace between the Ptolemaic Empire and the Seleucid Empire, all fighting over Israel. And um, although, you know, sort of like Antiochus, what he was really hoping was that it would help him get control over Egypt because the Seleucid Empire wanted to take over the Ptolemaic Empire. So, you know, you've got all these political manoeuvrings going on. But um, it backfired against him. And the reason it backfired against him is because Cleopatra, having married Ptolemy V, really loved him and sided with him against her father. So, so that didn't work, all right. And uh, so... What he does then, because he's getting a bit miffed by now, I mean, he's, he's, he's not a very nice bloke. 
What he then does is that he invades Asia Minor. He thinks, right, okay, we'll blow, blow that lot, I'll, I'll, I'll head up, you know, north-like. And uh, he invades Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor, at that point, was being controlled by um, another power that was, um, you know, sort of like beginning to happen. And uh, Asia Minor, at that point, was being um, controlled by Rome. And so what happens is that uh, he goes against Asia Minor only to be beaten back by the Romans. And, uh, you know, so he suffered um, a major defeat there and, uh, you know, like certainly, certainly lived to regret ever having done that. Okay. And, um, and that was actually called the Battle of Magnesia in 190 BC. And that was the turning point when Rome really did start to make its moves to become the next world power after the Greek Empire. And uh, so that was the Battle of Magnesia. And I mean, this is strong meat. Uh, if not, it would have been the Battle of the Milk of Magnesia, wouldn't it? Right. Um, and, and then Antiochus died three years later. Now, he was, he was succeeded by um, Seleucus IV. And um, who got assassinated trying to rob the temple in Jerusalem, so he, he, he didn't last long. And uh, he should have been succeeded by his son, Demetrius I. But by stealth and treachery, he was succeeded by his younger brother, Antiochus Epiphanes. And we're back to Antiochus now. More details. So Antiochus Epiphany, all right, became Antiochus IV, and uh, he's our Antichrist forerunner. So now we're back Antiochus ruling the Seleucid Empire, which is controlling Israel at the time. And um, he attacks Egypt and he defeats Ptolemy VII. So where his forebears have had no joy against the um, uh, Ptolemaic Empire at all, he does, and he inflicts a real defeat on them. And then on the way back, he attacks Jerusalem. Just attacks Jerusalem because he hated the Jews. Um, then later on, he attacks Egypt again, but in doing that, he runs into the Romans again. The Romans now increasing their power all over the place. So he is now beaten back by the Romans. So having defeated the Ptolemaic Empire once and got a real victory over them, later on he goes back again only to find that the Romans are in the area and they beat him back. So, so that, that thwarts his ambition to take over the Ptolemaic Empire because the Ptolemaic Empire is already falling to the Roman Empire, which is growing in power across the then known world at this point. And he's so angry at that defeat that it was then that he returned home via Jerusalem. His home would have been Syria. He returns home via Jerusalem and it was then that he did the desecration of the temple for three years. And that was when that, that three years, you know, when he desolated the holy city. And, uh, you know, we saw earlier in the vision of the ram and the he-goat, right? That, that, so we're going over the same ground that that vision um, covered. And uh, remember, he, he's the little hall, horn in the he-goat's head that uh, took over from the other four horns. You know, this, he is the king, the, the, the real focus of attention in the prophecies here. And what is amazing is that some of the Jews gave their allegiance to him, that some of the Jews formed an alliance with the Seleucid Empire. And again, that's a theme that, that we've seen before as we've traced the history of Israel, how they'd form alliances out of God's will. 
and that so often the judgment was that the very nation they formed alliances in became the means of God's judgment against them for forming the alliance in the first place and not trusting him. Then what happens is that you have what came to be known as the Maccabean Revolt against um, Antiochus. And, uh, and this was, was started by, yeah, because Israel is now being really badly oppressed, all right. And, um, and there was a priest called Mattathias Maccabee. That was his name, and hence the Maccabeans. That was the name of the family. And um, he led a revolt against the Seleucid troops. Uh, he, he died soon after that, but his five sons, uh, Judas, Jonathan, Simon, John and Eliezer, um, Judas was the oldest one, and so he took over from his father, um, they successfully retook um, the city from the Seleucids in 165 BC. So you've got this three years with Antiochus, you know, sort of like, you know, doing like sacrificing the pigs in the temple and stuff like that. Then he dies, then you get the Maccabean revolt, and they eventually free um, Jerusalem from the um, Seleucid Empire. But as you go through this thing that the angel is telling him, you get to something really weird in verse 36. Because as I say, the history that I've recounted to you now, the secular history, if you read through what the angel said, in the Bible, you'll see how each one, this is the fulfillment of what the angel said, all right? I've just given you the names and the dates and the nations, etc., etc., etc. But what happens is that in verse 36, the narrative continues as if it's still talking about this Antiochus Epiphanes bloke, all right? And it carries on as if it's just talking about the same period of history. But the events that it now recounts have never happened. They've never happened at all. And what you've got virtually mid-sentence in verse 36 is you've got the switch to future history. Do you remember we saw this in the last talk concerning the Roman Empire? We had history of the Roman Empire that we know has happened because it's history as far as we're concerned. But then, as we read on, we got things that were going to happen in the Roman Empire that haven't happened yet because it's future the Roman Empire is going to happen again and here we are being given details about this Antiochus bloke and then mid-sentence um, you know sort of like we, we carry on reading about things that he did and went on to do that he never did because he died and what you've got is you've got this what, what I'm calling a prophetic switch remember in Daniel Antiochus becomes a type of the Antichrist himself, much the same way that Melchizedek was a type of Jesus. And so what happens now is that from the details that we're getting about Antiochus, which are all fulfilled because it's 2,100 years ago, we then get details that aren't talking about Antiochus at all. Now the Bible is suddenly talking about the Antichrist himself, whom Antiochus foreshadows. But this information hasn't happened yet because it's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. And the key verse is in verse 40 when you get these words, at the time of the end. So suddenly the Bible has switched 
not to the lead-up of events at the first coming of Jesus, but now it's switched to the events that are going to lead up to the second coming of Jesus. And now we're talking Antichrist. So then, back to the prophecy, but realising that now at this part in the prophecy, we're talking about the Antichrist, and we're talking about a history that hasn't happened yet. And this is it. The king, and remember now, the king we're talking about isn't Antiochus, it's the Antichrist. And he's the king, not of the Greek Empire then, but of future Roman Empire. And this is what we're told. The king becomes incredibly powerful and exalts himself above all known gods. I'm quoting now. And in particular, he exalts himself against, I quote, the one desired by women. Now, that was a Jewish saying representing that every Jewish girl wanted to be the father of Messiah. It's a reference there to Jesus. That this king exalts himself even above Jesus, above the Messiah. This character, this king, is empowered by a, quote, unknown God who's called, a, and I quote again, a god of fortresses and a foreign god. Obviously, these are all terms referring to Satan. You know, the, the god of this world behind every idol. Right. Now, this king, we're now talking about the Antichrist, is attacked by the king of the south, Egypt. So, midway through the Great Tribulation, there's all, you know, there's been peace. But, but now wars start to happen and he's attacked from the south, from Egypt. But he defeats the Egyptian king and uh, various other surrounding lands as well, including the Holy Land. So now, Antichrist, controlling the then known world, there's a, a rebellion against him from Egypt and one or two other places. He subdues that rebellion and in so doing, he conquers the Holy Land. All right, So he goes into Jerusalem. But Edom and Moab and most of Ammon are delivered from him. So we're given here geographical areas, Ammon, Moab and some of, um, sorry, Edom, Moab and some of Ammon, the Antichrist has no power in. Now those are the places of safety for the Jews in the Great Tribulation. I'll be back to that in one moment. Now, what happens is that news of events in the northeast, and he's in Egypt putting down this, you know, sort of like rebellion. News of events in the northeast. Now, where's northeast of Egypt? Israel. Calls him to go to Jerusalem, where he sets up camp, because he spends three and a half years trying to destroy Jerusalem, and he's destroyed. Boom, he's destroyed. And of course, that's what happens at the second coming, at Armageddon. So there, you've got details about the Antichrist that when you put it together, you know, sort of like, um, you know, with other things in the Bible, you get detailed pictures, you know, detailed information about the way that the Great Tribulation is going to work. Now, if you go to Revelation, and of course this, this sheds so much light on that, I just want to show you this thing about Edom and Moab not, not being given into his hands. And if you go to Revelation chapter 12, and um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. You get this um, 
this picture, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, what's that? Well, the Bible interprets itself. Do you remember the, uh, the dreams that Joseph had? He told Jacob, I dreamed I saw eleven stars, the sun, the moon and the sky. I'm quoting now from Joseph's amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Bowing down before my star, it made me wonder why. And Jacob said to him, are you saying that your mother and I and your brothers are going to worship you? Bow down, you. You see, the sun, the moon, it's Israel, the nation of Israel. Jacob was the moon, uh, the sun. Uh, his wife was the um, moon and, and the brothers were the stars. So here, this, you know, sort of like a female with the moon under her feet and, and a crown of 12 stars and clothed with the sun. It's the nation of Israel, right? Israel in the Great Tribulation. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. So here comes Satan. Now, what's, what's he trying to do? Um, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. Well, Israel gave birth to Messiah, didn't they? So that he might devour the child the moment it was born. He tried to do that through Herod and it didn't work. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snapped up to God on his throne. Now that's when Jesus ascended. Right, gap, church age, bang. Next sentence, back to the Great Tribulation. Um, the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, what's 1,260 days? Three and a half years. Into the desert. Somewhere where this Antichrist can't hurt them. And, and we know from Daniel that the places of safety were Moab, Edom, and parts of Ammon. Um, down in verse 13. Um, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times or two times and half a time. A time, one year, two times, two years, half a time, three and a half years. Now, do you remember in Matthew 24 when Jesus is teaching about the Great Tribulation, and he's saying that when you see the Antichrist, you know, the abomination of desolation, straight from Daniel. He says, when you see that, he said, get out, flee. Now, all the believing Jews will. You see, because judgment is not for believers, is it? So all the believing Jews, they're reading Matthew 24. Oh, yeah, here's the, um, oh, yeah, here's the Antichrist. It's the abomination. It's happening. Jesus has told us to get out. Okay, so off they go. But where are they going to go? Where they're going to be safe? Well, they'll know Daniel, won't they? They'll head down to Edom and Moab and Ammon. You see, here Daniel tells them where the places are where Antichrist can't touch them. And, um, you know, and, and of course then, because all the believers have left the holy city, there's no one preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. So what does God do now? He sends Moses and Elijah and they preach the gospel for three and a half years because all the believers have gone. And all the unbelievers are there for the judgment to come on them. But if they believed and gone, they wouldn't have been judged. See, we're saved by faith, believing what God says. And so therefore you can see that in Daniel we're actually given information so that the Jews in Jerusalem, in the Great Tribulation, who get saved, when they realise this is the Antichrist, he's doing his Antiochus thing, it's time for us to go, and they know because the Word of God has told them that they'll get safe passage down to Edom, Moab and Ammon, and off they'll go and they'll be protected from the wrath of the Antichrist, okay?
Right, chapter 12, we've got to do this um, really fast now. So that's the end of the Antichrist, all right? He's destroyed, blah, blah, blah. Right, chapter 12, and this is the last bit of the message that the angel gives um, to Daniel. And uh, the angel says that the time that's being described will be, quote, a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning. So a time of greater tribulation than there's ever been before, and that's where we get the term great tribulation from. It's from this, this verse. And uh, the angel goes on to tell Daniel that the archangel Michael, and the angel says, he is the prince who protects your people. So here again, we've got that Michael is the archangel who protects Israel. Um, that the archangel Michael will go into action to um, protect the Jews who get saved. And, uh, and that the whole thing will end with people being raised from the dead and they'll be raised from the dead either to everlasting life or to everlasting shame and contempt. And there you've got the eternal state. People are going to be raised again from the dead, but either for the eternal state with the Lord or eternally in the lake of fire. Then, and we're virtually on a, a postscript now, we're right at the end, two other angels appear. And uh, they, they confirm to Daniel that this period of time that they're talking about now when the abomination is set up in the temple and the Antichrist desolates Jerusalem, you know, uh, in the same way that Antiochus had done, um, that it would, but they confirm that it's going to last for three and a half years. So midway through the Great Tribulation, the Tribulation seven years, halfway through three and a half years. And again, they say a time, times and half a time. So one year, two years, half a year, all right? And, um, and, and they say, and this is so important, that then the power of the holy people will be broken. And I'm quoting. The power of the holy people will be broken. What does that mean? Well, it means that the judgment, that three and a half years of the Antichrist, that judgment on Israel will be so terrible that they will be broken. And at last, Israel will submit to the Lord. And what have you got? What three and a half years of the ministry of Jesus didn't do, Israel wouldn't believe. The three-and-a-half-year reign of terror of the Antichrist will do. They'll break. The judgment will be so terrible that Israel will come to the Lord and they'll cry out for Jesus. Do you remember? He said to them, he said, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's why Satan spends the Great Tribulation trying to destroy Israel. Because he doesn't want the second coming to happen. Right, now then, there's one last time period given, all right? From the abomination of desolation, which happens halfway through the Great Tribulation, we're given two more time periods, and I'm, I'm just going to put, you know, throw these out. You make them what you will. There'll be a, a period of 1,290 days. Now, that's three years and ten months, all right? So that is four months beyond the end of the Great Tribulation. Now, I put it to you that is that, that the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats lasts for four months. So the, the second coming happens, then you've got four months where all the nations of the earth are being judged. And then the millennium starts, the marriage supper of the Lamb starts. And then the second date is that the angels say, Blessed is he who makes the end of 1,335 days, which is 45 days further on. And I put it to you that does the marriage supper of the Lamb last for 45 days? And then the thousand-year reign of Christ begins in earnest. So here you've got uh, sort of like 
the second coming, then four months of maybe the sheep and the goats, all right? And then beyond that, another 45 days, and that could be the actual marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the great, then the thousand-year reign of Christ starts in earnest. Right, got to end there. Daniel, boom, boom.